You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Oh, open your Bible with me to, to Daniel, Daniel chapter one. It's in the Old Testament in section. We're going to go there in just a little bit. I am traveling with my oldest son. It's my second child. I have a daughter, then four boys. That's, I know that's a lot of kids, by the way. I have a lot of kids. Five's a lot. I mean, I always, people always react when I say five. I don't know where the line is, but I crossed it. Amen, everybody. But I know that's a lot. And I tell people, I had a guy I was in California, Pastor Paul, and this guy came up and said, man, five kids. You must really like kids. I said, no, I don't. I really like my wife. Come on, somebody. So bring me back to your marriage conference. I got stuff to say. All right. So, um, but no, I'm, I'm, we're thrilled. We love our children very, very much. Um, the five kids from, they're, they're now 28 to 20 is their ages. But my, oh, my daughter now has given me two grandsons. Where are the grandparents at? Where y'all at? Raise your hand. Yeah. Hey, everybody, if you're not a grandparent yet, here, here's my piece of advice. Don't kill your kids. There are better ones coming, everybody. So just let them live. <laughs> let, them, let them live. It's, it's, it's wonderful. I had no idea. If I'd have known they were going to be this good, I'd have had them first. But anyway, all right. Daniel chapter 1. Um, I want to share with you a message based off of a series that we did uh, in our church in 2013. We do series of messages on topics, and then some of the series throughout the year, we try to do them around uh, books of the Bible. So we'll try to do two books of the Bible every year, just verse by verse, to help people understand their Bibles better. And in 2013, five years ago, we did a series based off of the book of Daniel. If you don't know much about the book, uh, the book is a, is a the ha- first half of the book is all history of a period of time when the children of Israel were not in Israel. They, they had actually been taken off as slaves to a place called Babylon, which is today the geography would be Iraq. That's where it would be. They, were, uh, they had been unfaithful to God, so God allowed them to be taken as captives. By the way, God does not create your pain, but he does allow your pain to get your attention. He'll use it. He doesn't create it, but he will use it to get your attention. And if you're in pain, don't run from God, run to God. Can you hear a good amen? So they, they had actually, they had rejected their God. So God took his hand of protection off their lives and they're brought into captivity. And here's the challenge though. And that is, is that Daniel uh, and all of the Israelites were there in a culture that was foreign from God, different from God, and actually rejected their God. And the challenge was, were they going to be able to stand strong for God in the middle of that kind of a culture? I think it's the question people are asking today. Can I stand strong for God in culture? Now, here's the deal. They not only stood strong, but Daniel also had influence into that culture. Now, that's very rare for you not only to stay true, but actually they're listening to you as well. And I would call that the win. That's the ultimate win is not just to survive it, but to impact it. God's never called us to be right. He's called us to be effective. Amen, everybody. And so and it's hard. It's hard to do. And so anyway, after the series was over, uh, the message series kept getting watched and rewatched. It had become uh, after about a year, the most popular series we'd ever done. And I wasn't expecting it. So a couple years ago, I actually ended up putting it in book form, and it just was released this past October, and I called it the Daniel Dilemma. And the dilemma is, what do you do? What do you do when you're you're stuck in a place where you love God, and you're trying to stay true to God, but you have culture pulling you another direction? Here's here's the deal. Do you have to make a choice? And the answer is, you don't have to make a choice. You don't have to do either or. You don't have to come to this side where, where, well, I'm going to stay true to God, but nobody likes me, you know, and uh, 
um, and but I'm but I'm right, and and or, or or this other place where you know, well, well, maybe I'll have to soften the scriptures a little bit, maybe not give it like the Bible says, but at least I'll have some people who still like me and listen to me. No, no, no. You can stand firm and love well at the same time, and I want to show you how. If you'll look in your Bibles in Daniel chapter one. Verse one, it says, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, which is Iraq, and put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered, and I want you to notice this guy's name, he ordered Ashpenaz, which is Nebuchadnezzar, is one of his chief officials, the court officials, watch this, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. In other words, let all these Jewish people work as common slaves, but go find the smart ones and, and the ones who, who are, are talented and have good education and bring them into my court. Let them serve me personally. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, reminds you of the guy you're looking at right now. It doesn't everybody, right? Just kidding, all right. He said, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them, watch this, the language and the literature of the Babylonians. In other words, that's the devil's goal always, to indoctrinate you into culture where you can't even really even recognize the difference anymore. You even, you even think you're a part of it. And he was to assign them the, the daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, which, by the way, was going to be a problem because these foods were not, will not be kosher food. They, were, they would break Jewish dietary laws. They were actually be foods sacrificed to idols. And then they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were enter, they enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen were four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you would know these Babylonian names as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Most, in fact, most Christians know the, the, the Babylonian names of these three, but they don't even know the Jewish names of these three. But it's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, if you keep studying chapter one, I think chapter one actually serves as a, an outline for what would happen over the next several chapters after that. But in chapter one, you see the three things that culture is going to try to do to you. And I want to expose that so you can recognize it and see it and go, oh, wait a minute, this is what's happening just like it happened back then. Because I personally think that the biblical history is prophecy for today. I, I, think, I, think the, I don't think the Bible is just something we read about that something happened a long time ago. God put the word of God there for us as a playbook for today. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? You see that? It really is. And so whatever the patterns were back then, the enemy will try the same thing. And actually God wants to do the same thing inside of us as well. And there are three things that happen in this first chapter of Daniel. And if you're a note taker, jot these down or get your phone and jot these down. And the first one is, is that culture will try to rename you. In other words, the first, the first goal of, of the enemy in anyone's life is that you, when you were born by God, created by God, you are given a God-given identity. In fact, Ephesians says it very clearly that you are God's masterpiece you were created in Christ Jesus, watch this now, to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, when God made you, he had already in mind, listen very carefully now, who you are and what you were to do. The enemy doesn't want you to do that. So the way he does it is he wants you to take on a new identity. 
a, a new way to look at yourself. I actually grew up very, very shy. Um, I, I was bullied whenever I was in junior high school, so that would have been in America. That would have been around age 12 or so, and I was bullied very, very badly and picked on by older people. And in order to kind of be accepted among a group that was rejecting me, I, I took on a personality that honestly isn't my personality. And so to get people's attention, I would do things that were bad. Actually, it actually ended up to me getting into big trouble, and that God used it to get my attention. That's when I gave my heart to Jesus. But, but a lot of us are living by a script right now of an identity that we believe about ourselves, but it's not the one that God wrote about you. And one of the beautiful things that you need to understand about culture is that culture will try to rename you. Watch this in verse 7. The chief official gave them new names. And to Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And when if you, you study these in the book, I actually do an in-depth study of their, of their God-given name and how it compares to their Babylonian names. And in every place, now watch this very carefully, the enemy is trying to obliterate God's fingerprint on their lives. So, so Daniel's name, Daniel's na- name means in Jewish in Jewish culture, Daniel's name means God is my judge. In other words, I will live in the fear of the Lord. His new Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, means lady, protect the king. In fact, even in this place, the enemy changed his gender to create gender confusion. I actually did a study over 26 periods of time over human recorded history. And in every place, the patterns of culture's effect on that generation have been identical to the one we're currently living in. And in all 26, there's been gender confusion in every single one of them. That's not new. It's the same thing the enemy is trying to do. Just And he's not even trying to do it about gender. What he's trying to do is obliterate God's fingerprint on your life so you never live it out. Come on, somebody say amen right there. You got to see it to recognize it. To Hananiah, in fact, Hananiah's Jewish name means God is a good God. His Babylonian name, Shadrach, means I am afraid of God. He'll even change how you view God. And if you go on the street and ask people, tell me what you think about God, they're going to give you things that are not true about God. And it's because the enemy is trying to confuse them by giving them a new name. Are you listening to me? In every case, he does this. And so here's the point. Here's what we need to do. And that is that when culture shifts, we must know who we are. And I just want to say this to you in case you hadn't figured it out yet. If you're new to life or if this is your first time or if you've been here a long time, the goal of church isn't to come to church. The goal of church is to come to a place and let Sundays and these services be a catalyst for you to decide, you know what? My life needs to change. And then you step into the things they offer like conference and baptism and next steps. And I'm just going to do this. And what's going to happen is, is you're going to redeem your name once again. And that's what I love about it. In fact, I'm going to give you a personal invitation. They didn't ask me to say this. I'm just telling you, I'm giving you a personal invitation to take your next step to do more, to get involved. And watch what happens is your redemptive name is going to come back to the forefront and watch your life become so much better when you realize who you are. Amen, everybody? Here's the second thing that you'll see that happened to them. And that is that happened, and you'll see it in verse 8, but culture would try to change your standards. In other words, your convictions. And that's why it's incredibly important that if we're going to be believers, Christians living in this culture, you've got to, you've got to kind of settle what you believe about God and the Bible. I call it a pre-decision. If you wait till you get in the middle of the situation of life that pressures you and you haven't pre-decided, you'll follow pressure. 
but if you made the decision on your principles before the pressure situation has, you'll live by principle instead of pressure. You got to pre-decide. I believe this, and that's why I think it's important all of us, all churches, kind of really get people back into the truths of God's word and kind of live by God's standard and realize that God didn't put a standard up there for his benefit. He put that standard there for your benefit. Can I say that again? I want to say that again because people think they have it all wrong, that God was just coming up with a bunch of rules to keep you in line. No, no, no. Everything he put in there is not for his good. They're there for your good. They make your life better. You sleep better. Your marriage is better. Your relationships are better. Everything's better when you follow God's way. I always say it this way. God's way works. God's, God's way is not just right, but God's, God's way works. And, and we, have, we have to stay strong. So when they offered this food and wine that was not kosher, it didn't follow Jewish dietary laws, the Bible says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved, in other words, he just had a made-up mind, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And then he asked, oh, Ashpenaz, he asked this chief official for permission not to defile himself that way. By the way, notice the courtesy in that. He didn't go, I ain't following y'all's ways. Y'all a bunch of heathens, and you're going to hell. Now, he didn't say that, right? Where I'm from in America, it's in the South, and they have this old country twang like that. And so hell is actually a two-syllable word, hail. You're going to hell. That's what y'all are. You better turn or burn. Now, I'd say, you know, they'll say, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's not good, actually. But anyway, but, but no, notice he asked permission. He basically said, Ashpenaz, but if it's okay with you, I really, would, I really would prefer not to eat that food. It, it goes against the convictions I have. And notice the courtesy and the courage at the same time. I'm telling you, the church needs to be equipped once again to live into a culture lest we fall on one side or the other where we're actually too strong in people's face all the time. We're actually too weak and we never have any impact into culture at, at all. But understand that when culture shifts, if you're taking notes, jot this down, you have to reaffirm your convictions. I, I'm going to encourage you to actually grapple with what you believe. I, I, I'm doing that. I, I find myself doing it all the time as culture shifts that I've got to decide how much of that am I going to allow in my life. And by the way, I've never once ever preached to people where that line should be. You know why? Because you have a Holy Spirit who the Bible says will lead you into all truth. Let me, let me tell you how it plays out. Because you're full of God, whenever you start stepping towards something that God says, man, that's not good for you, the Holy Spirit's going to go, ah, 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 don't, 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 don't. And you're going to feel that on the inside. And your job is to just to listen to the Holy Spirit and to stay away from those things. Amen, everybody? You hearing me? And you have to grapple with that. I want to encourage you to live inside of that tension. Of, you know what, maybe I shouldn't watch that. And, and maybe I shouldn't listen to that. And maybe, you know, I, don't, I, I feel my spirit being grieved whenever I have that conversation and laugh about that or think about, you know what, and, and I'm just going to, I'm going to make some decisions. And I'm not even putting that decision on you. I've just decided for me, it's not good for me to live right there. I want to encourage you to just uh, live inside of that tension and realize actually the tension is good. But the third thing that culture will do is culture will always create a confrontation. I say it this way. Culture will try to test me. And I'm, can I just warn you, church, whether you want it or not, it's coming your way. Your, your faith is going to be tested by someone, a conversation. There's, it's going to create some kind of confrontation with something that goes on inside of culture. And again, you, you'll, you'll find yourself not ready for it if you're not equipped out of God's word, which is why we have the Bible, which is why we have church. 
And it goes on to say, whenever he was asked to eat these foods, watch this, Daniel said to the guard, verse 11, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, actually, I want you to test us. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. And if you know much about the book, it literally goes from that test to another test, to another test, to another test. He would end up being thrown into a lion's den. He would end up being threatened to be in a fiery furnace if they didn't bow to an idol. I mean, it was just test after test after test. After tests, and for some of us, we just like, you know what, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And that's again why we need church. That's why we need God. That's why we need our Bibles. That's why we have to decide. If you don't, you're not going to be ready. That's why I wrote the book. I literally wrote the book to be a playbook of how to live through different situations. That if your child comes home from school and says, hey, mommy, I have a friend who is, and fill in the blank, just with anything. Put anything you want there. What do I say? What do I do? There's even the scripts, the responses, the right way that we answer in every one of those situations. Because a lot of us, honestly, feel ill-equipped. I remember I got saved when I was 15 years old, but I grew up in church. So I went to church for 15 years. In fact, I've never missed a Sunday in church in my entire life to date. I mean, sick or not, my dad was like, you can get a bag and throw up at church because you're going to church. I mean, we just didn't miss. Um, I, 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 um, I liked church. It was fine, but I just didn't know God. And there's a lot of people, honestly, that go to church. There's a lot of people like me that go to church and don't know God. And, and by the way, church can't save you. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus said, there'll be many on judgment day who will call him Lord and not enter the kingdom of heaven. And you say, well, why not? He says, because I'll tell you, you never, I never knew you. He wasn't looking for your religion. He was looking for relationship. Be very clear. And when I heard that message at 15 years old, it radically transformed my life. And after 15 years of perfect church attendance, I went beyond meeting a church. I met God and it changed my life forever. I went on to college at a, a school called Louisiana State University. I'm from Louisiana. My church is in Alabama now, but, but LSU, Louisiana State University. And as a student job, I had a job at the law, LSU Law School. So my mom was actually on staff there. She worked for the chancellor. She was the secretary to the head of the whole law school. And she got me the student job so I could make a few bucks between classes. Actually, what's funny is I worked in the maintenance department, which is funny because I can't fix anything. Anyway, so, but I, I was in this maintenance department, and honestly, there was nothing much to do if something wasn't broke. So I would be, get paid just to sit in the office waiting for someone to call. And oftentimes, because I was so on fire for God, I should have been studying for my classes, which that's a whole other story. But anyway, I, I, I just ended up just, just literally just reading my Bible, just hanging out. Well, my boss, Al Toll was his name. Al had a, had a friend that worked at the LSU police department who on his break would come visit Al. And, 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 and um, his name was Muhammad. And he would come over, and he, of course, he, he had, his faith was Islam. And, and he was a very nice guy, we, very pleasant conversation, kind of funny. I actually enjoyed him very much. But when he walked in and he saw me reading my Bible, Muhammad, and again, we've had a lot of conversation, but he walked over, he goes, hey, Chris, I can prove to you you don't believe everything in that book. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, have you ever had that feeling like they, they, they just know this one thing a little bit better than I do, and they're going to beat me at it on this one, right? Yeah. 
I call it a gotcha verse. It's just like, well, I'm going to show you something, and you're not going to have an answer for it, and I'm going to win, you know. And so anyway, I don't know. I'm, 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 don't be too impressed because I'm probably not the most courageous person you'll ever meet. But I had a, had a little courage come up on the inside of me. I said, oh, if it's in there, I believe it, Muhammad. I believe it. I, I don't know what you're going to say, but, but I believe I believe my Bible. I believe my Bible. I was, I was trying to be all courageous. And, <laughs> So he walks over toward me, and I'm sitting at a desk, and I think he's going to come over and just flip the book, you know, just like, he's going to show me a verse. And so I'm kind of looking down at my Bible. I'm not looking at him, and I'm kind of waiting for him. And when he walked over to me, he reached back, hauled off behind me, and slapped the fire out of my face, like really hard. And and it shocked me, because I'm looking down, I'm like, what, what, what'd you do that for? He goes, if you believe the Bible, turn the other cheek. And I said, are you serious? This is your test. This is your verse. I mean, what do you do? Go around slapping Christians. What do you do? You know, like, I said, are you serious, mom? And he goes, yeah. And his, his, his hand was shaking. He goes, if you believe it, turn the other cheek. I said, I believe it. He goes, no, you don't. I said, I believe it. He goes, no, you don't. I said, hit me. I believe it. He hit me again, y'all. <laughs> Second time, he just kind of tapped me like that. But he hit me again. And I'm like, and he took his police cap off. I never forget this. He goes, well, you're the first real Christian I've ever met. I thought, what do you do? Go around slapping everybody? What are you doing? You're like, I can't believe this. And, and, and that, that started some conversation that he and I had about faith. And he got very interested in Esau, Jesus. He said, man, this, this thing is real. There's something about you that's real. And he wanted to come to church. And he started pursuing faith. Come on, everybody. Y'all listening to me? But what he needed is, is that in the situation of tests, this is what I want to pass on to you. It's critical. Life, listen very carefully. Come on, all the locations. It's critical that we respond the right way. And I want to leave you with this one truth so that you remember nothing else. If you want more, go get the book. But, but, if, but, if you, but I'll leave you with this one truth that I think can change our lives, make us not just right but effective in culture, which is the goal. And that is that we respond the way Daniel did. And better yet, we respond the way Jesus did. And I want to show you a pattern. I could show you story after story after story after story how Jesus always did two things, two words. I'm going to show it to you in one verse, two words. And I want you to leave here today remembering these two words. I want to show it to you in John chapter 1, verse 14. That the word, and that's how John called Jesus, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of, come on, every location, say it out loud, full of grace and, say it again, full of grace, two words, grace, and notice grace first, grace is always first. You always connect before you correct. It's grace first. He saw Zacchaeus in that sycamore tree. He was a thief, had robbed everybody. He was a tax collector. Jesus knew he was a sinner, knew he was a tax collector. Jesus' first words to Zacchaeus was, let's go get something to eat. What you want to do for lunch? Let's go grab some lunch together. He didn't correct him first. He connected with him first. You can read it in Luke chapter 19. We don't know what happened to the lunch. I wish the Bible would have recorded the words to the lunch. All we know is 10 verses later, Zacchaeus comes out giving everybody money. Something happened with Jesus in that moment. 
And it's very critical for the church in the culture that we have that is shifting away from God, seems to challenge our faith. We don't need to be snotty, and then we don't need to be, you know, just, is that a word here in New Zealand? Do y'all use that? It's not a word. And we also don't need to be just, just, just uh, loose, and I don't care what you do. It doesn't matter. God loves you. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. It does matter. But we serve with grace first. Come on, everybody. And truth second. We want to, the way I say it is that truth without grace is mean. It's just mean. Actually, I have a, I have a tailor now. I've never had a tailor before. I had a guy in our church give me a gift certificate to get a custom-made suit done. I, I'd never had that before. So I went to this place uh, in town where I live, and I brought my gift certificate in. It was this little Hindu guy about this tall. His name was Ramesh, and they call him Ram. And he couldn't have been a nicer guy in the whole wide world. He had his Hindu gods all over the wall. And I went in there, and we laughed and cut up for two hours while he measured parts of me that I didn't think mattered to a suit. Anyway, so he, he just measured. Uh, we had more fun, and he just, oh, we looked at 500 different patterns and claws. And, oh, pastor, pastor, pastor. He called me. If he said pastor once, he said it 800 times. Oh, pastor, you have great arms, pastor. Pastor, we are going to do this, pastor. Pastor, we put pocket here, pastor. Pastor, there be pocket here, pastor. Pastor, there be pocket there, pastor. You know, just, okay, I kind of get it. And so anyway, we laughed. I enjoyed the fire out of him. We ended up, we ended up uh, uh, finishing, and when my wife was with me, I walked back out to my car. He followed me out to the, to the, park, the car park, and, and, and I got in my car, and I'm like, does he walk everybody out to the car? I don't know. And so I said, well, Ron, I, I couldn't have had a better time with you. Thank you so much. He goes, Pastor, you're very different. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're very different from other pastors I met. So, well, I don't understand. He goes, well, I met with a pastor, and when he saw my gods, he just said, you're going to hell. He says, you didn't say that. And I'm thinking, well, I do believe that. No, no, just kidding. (laughs) But I knew I had, my goal wasn't to be right. My goal is to be effective. And I said, well, I just want you to know, I found you incredibly delightful. And then he said, can I come to your church? See, if you look at the life of Jesus, he always gave, he, he, he was be sure to be full of grace and truth, but truth without grace is mean. But listen to me, grace without truth is meaningless. So if we, if we try to say, oh, it doesn't matter, God loves you, you can just live. No, you don't know you can't actually. And you say, well, that's, why, why is God that way? God, God calls us out of his sin, not, not because he's angry. He calls us out of sin because of his love. The most loving thing a God can do is say, you don't have to live that way. You can live a better life. And he calls us, the loving God calls us out of our sin to save our lives. Say amen right there. So important. Truth. But you put them together. Truth and grace is is what I call good medicine. It's it's the perfect balance. And I want to close by giving you one story out of scripture to illustrate it. I gave you Zacchaeus. Let me show you my favorite one in the entire Bible in John chapter 8. Jesus returned from the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple and a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law, so that would be the modern day pastors, seminary professors, these heads of denominations and the Pharisees brought out a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, which always one another, what were they doing there? But anyway, that's another story, but somehow they were at the spot where all that was happening. But anyway... You ever thought about that? But anyway, 
But they put her in front of the crowd and said, Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her. So that's true. Truth says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him to saying something they could use against him. But watch how Jesus didn't respond. Sometimes you can actually get in trouble by your quick responses. And by the way, be careful of your Twitter wars and your comments and the things you say. Because you can, it's just, it's not helpful. And the goal again isn't to be right, it's to be effective. We want to help people. We don't want to just be right. So he just stoops down, the Bible says. And he starts doodling in the dirt, writing. In, we don't know what he wrote, but he's just writing, just writing in, in, with, his, with his finger in the dust. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone, which is a great response. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And with the accusers heard this, they slipped away. Watch this detail. One by one, they left. One by one, starting with the oldest, which means there must have been something he was writing that was applying to them one by one. Now, we don't know what he wrote, but I'd love to give you my theory because I got a good one. All right. So it just because if they live, if they leave one by one. My theory is, is he was writing out the names of their mistresses, Martha, <laughs> Sally. Anyway, so I, I don't know. I think it's funny. I, you don't have a theory, use mine. I think it's awesome. <laughs> but they're gone so until everybody's gone, all right? And then Jesus stands up again, verse 10. He stood up again, and, and, and he, 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 the Bible says that he asked the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them come to condemn you? And she says, well, no, I don't see anybody here to condemn me. And he says, watch this, neither do I condemn you, grace. But he doesn't leave it there. And then he says, and now that I've shown you that I do not condemn you, now go leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. Truth. I tell you, church, the response that we have for culture can be summed up into both of those. I don't, we don't condemn you, but let me show you a way you can live your life without all that junk in your life. You can leave your life of sin. Several years ago, I was speaking at my home church, which is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I grew up. And there's not a direct flight from Baton Rouge to Birmingham, where I live in Alabama, sweet home Alabama. And, but you can drive another 45 minutes south to New Orleans, and there's a direct flight on, a, on an airline called Southwest. I don't know if you ever heard this airline, but it's very unique. It's, very, it's a low-cost, low-budget airline. But one of the things they do is, is you, don't, you, can't, you don't get a seat assignment. You, just, you, go in, you go on the plane and just look for one. It's, it's open seating which I don't like that, all right, because I want to know who gets to sit next to me. I, I want to I control who is sitting next to me, right? Well, I had a friend traveling with me, but there's this open seat next to me that I'm nervous about. So people are boarding now, and, you know, when you see certain people, and they're coming on, you know, my prayer life was improving. Father, please not him. God, Jesus' name, amen, you know, as they go by. But <laughs> come on, don't lie. You've done that too. And so anyway, so this girl comes around the corner, boarding the plane, whoop, 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 high five, high five. And she's, so she's totally drunk. You know, she's like, just like, just got off of Bourbon Street in New Orleans and just, and so she comes around, sure enough, plop, right there next to me. I'm like, oh man. So, and she goes, turns right to me and goes, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> and when you get asked that as a pastor, you got to decide if you're going to lie or not. You know, you do. You just, 
So I said, well, I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. She goes, duh, we're all passengers. I'm like, no, <laughs> not a passenger, like a pastor of a church. And she said, oh, well, I don't like Christians. Now, I knew the kind she has been raised around, so I decided to play along. So I said, me too, girl, I'm with you. That's why I had to start my own church. I said that to her. And she goes, I don't understand. I said, yeah, well, Christianity has this branding problem. And there's this whole group, and this is the Pharisee bunch in this story, that'll, that'll tell you right now where you're blowing it and, and be happy to show you where you're blowing it and kind of make you fix it all before you can even come to their services. I said, there's a whole bunch of us that try to follow the pattern of Jesus where he wants to fix your problems, but he accepts you first. And so I actually have built a pretty big church around this concept of loving people the way Jesus does. And so she had already gotten a drink by this time, another one. And so, yeah, the cart came by and she's got this drink. She goes, well, what does your Jesus think about this? And she shoves it in my face. And I said, I don't think he cares about that at all right now. I think he cares about you. And if he ever could get to you, he'd talk to you about that later. She goes, well, I've never heard of that before. I said, because it's in the Bible, you know. And so, <laughs> so the plane lands, very short flight, 40 minutes. Plane's landing now. She's going on to Nashville. And um, she goes, well, I have to have more. I said, all right, let me do this. I said, watch. What, this was a Saturday. I said, watch our church service on Sunday. Uh, we stream our services live. And if you'll watch, I'll look into the camera and I'll give you a shout out. She goes, you won't. I said, yes, I will. And so next Sunday morning, I got up. And we have, you know, we have 50 something services. But I was just, I was just looking at uh, the camera. I said, I said, hey, welcome to all of our locations today. And all those in the prisons that we're bringing this service into today. Hey, I want to give a special shout out to Tanya. Girl, I told you I'd do it. And I, did, and I don't know if she was watching or not, but I gave it a shot, you know. And so. Well, sure enough, the next day, she, she sends me an email. Um, and and the, the, in the email, she, she said, hey, I watched the service. Thank you for the shout out. And I love the message. And I understand now how I was letting Christians keep me away from God. And she goes, how stupid is that? And she goes, I realize God loves me. And, I, and she goes on through. And, and, and her salutation was, I'm ready to surrender. So I picked up the phone and I called her. I said, Tanya, you really ready? She goes, yes, I am. And I prayed with her over the phone to give her heart to Jesus. And she got saved. Come on, somebody. Give God some praise. Isn't that awesome? And we, we got to the truth, but we had to start with God's grace. That's what Daniel did. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we need to do in culture. You don't have to compromise either one of them. You don't have to walk away from truth to show grace. And, and vice versa. No, we, did, we, we, we give that to people in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.